Today's sermon passage comes from Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So, Father, we pray that your Spirit would speak your word, which he inspired, speak it to us in such a way that we would hear it and receive it and believe it. Lord, this is our prayer in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. If you haven't already, please take a Bible, turn to the book of Galatians in chapter 5. As evidenced by all of you being here at 9 o'clock instead of 10.30, it's very obvious that there's a lot going on here at Redeemer. The Lord's bringing new people to our church. We're so glad that you're here. The Lord's discipling and growing people into faith. We're so glad that that's happening. New people are hearing of Jesus and repenting and believing. And we're so glad that that's happening. But today feels like change. And so I just want to say something very clearly to all of us that leads right into our sermon this morning. Our heart, our hope, and our desire is that Redeemer Church will be and will remain a people committed to God, to God's word, to discipleship, to evangelism, and to mission. I say that knowing that we are imperfect in every one of those. I say that knowing that we need to grow in faithfulness on every level. And yet, if we lose our way, we have lost everything. Because Jesus didn't die for buildings, Jesus didn't die for change, Jesus didn't die for transition, Jesus didn't die for two services, Jesus didn't die for modular buildings. If he didn't die for buildings, he certainly didn't die for modular buildings. And Jesus died to build a people wholly devoted to him and his word and his gospel led by his spirit. And that's what we want to be. Anything less and we've lost our way. And so our sermon series is a reminder that if we're not building on the foundation which God laid, we become nothing. 
But if we build upon that foundation, he promises to be with us and help us and use us and build us for his glory. That's a promise that we are believing. And so we're laying the or we're reviewing the foundation, if you will. Um, I've spent a lot of times looking at building plans recently. We are reviewing the foundation that God has given us. And what we've said is one corner of that foundation is for God's glory. Everything that is exists for the glory of God. And God's desire from everything that exists is that his name be glorified. That's the first corner of our foundation. Um, if you'd like to know, hear more about that, we preached on that a few weeks ago. The sermon's on our website. The second corner of our foundation, I guess it became two corners on the same corner because it took us two weeks to work through it, was in Christ. The hope of humanity is Jesus. And our identity is that we are in Christ. Not that we're good, not that we're better, not that we're holier, not that we're more righteous, but we stand before God in Christ. And because of that, everything has changed. So this morning, we're coming to the third corner of our foundation. And the third corner of our foundation is by the Spirit. And if I can say this as succinctly as I can, a life in Christ is lived by the Spirit. And when I say the Spirit, I mean the Holy Spirit who is the third person of the Trinity, who is God and who is worthy of our worship. The life in Christ is by the Spirit. So... The life in Christ is not lived alone, is not lived helpless, and is not lived powerless because it's lived by the Spirit. One of my favorite authors, J.I. Packer, wrote a book called Knowing God. If you were to only read 250 pages this calendar year, I would say take up a copy of Knowing God and read. If you can't afford a copy, I'll buy you one. Just meet me up here after the service. Or if you're just too lazy to order a copy, we have Amazon Prime here at Redeemer. We'll get it for you. But in this excellent book, J.I. Packer titles the chapter on the Holy Spirit, Forgotten Because what he observes is that since the early 1900s, American Christians and Christians in all of the West have been afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. So let me just say this as clearly as I can. Number one, let's put all of our fear aside and let's see what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Number two, if we don't have the Spirit in our lives, we are helpless, alone, and powerless moralists who just think we're better than others because we get up early on rainy Sunday mornings and come to a place called the church. But if we have the Spirit sent to us on the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ to dwell in us and reign with us and help us glorify God in everything, then we have power and we have the presence of God and we are not alone and we can actually, without misquoting it, do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen. 
and that has nothing to do with the Titans game later. If you thought so, you're wrong. We'll talk later. Or even Tennessee winning yesterday. I mean, the Vols won. But it had nothing to do with Philippians 4.16. We can talk more about that if we need to. So my point today, I always say this, if, if you only really are not wanting to be here, but you need to seem conversant about the sermon when you get to brunch here in a few minutes, here's your one point. A life in Christ is lived by the Spirit. The Spirit is, our, is the presence of God, the help of God, and the power of God among us, and in us, and through us. So, that's the point. So now your question as a listener to a sermon has to be, but does the Bible really say that? A little insider info. If the Bible doesn't say it, get up and leave. If the Bible doesn't say it, don't listen to me. But if the Bible does say it, Receive it and believe it and be changed by it. So point number one, so our passage to look at this today is going to be Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25, which Brandy just read for us a few minutes ago. So point number one, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. The key verse for this point is, or verses for this point are verses 24 and 25. I'm going to read those one more time. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now notice what's going on there. Paul's saying, if we're in Christ, we're dead to the flesh. And then he just assumes that if we're dead to the flesh, we have to be alive by something. And the answer is, we're alive by the Spirit. And so what Paul is arguing here is that every Christian has had their flesh crucified through Jesus. And every Christian has the Spirit of God. Every Christian is alive by So the Spirit of God reigns over the flesh of every Christian, and the Spirit of God dwells within every Christian. If you think maybe I'm reading too much into Galatians 5, 24 and 25, I would appeal to you from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, where we're told that the Spirit indeed does dwell within every Christian. So, so get this, get this. What Paul is arguing is that every Christian, that's everyone who has professed and confessed that we are sinners who need a Savior, and His name is Jesus, and Jesus' blood was spilled for sinners like me, and I'm trusting that I'm forgiven in Christ. What we're being told in this passage is everybody who is a Christian has the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is dwelling within us and the Spirit reigns over our flesh. I know it's early, but that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Because so often we talk about the faith like this. I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me and someday I'm going to go to heaven. But what about the here and now? 
What about those days and weeks and months and years between when I become a Christian and when I see Jesus face to face? What about now? Am I alone? Am I just here to be a moralist and try to do the best I can and keep as many of the Ten Commandments as I can? Am I here? That's right. The kids get it. Preach it, Coker boys. You want to come up here and help? Maybe you shouldn't offer that, right? (laughs) What about the now? And this passage tells us two things about the now. It tells us that our flesh has been crucified. And when the Bible talks about the flesh, it doesn't mean your skin and your bones and your blood and your marrow, okay? That's really not all that bad. It does what it's supposed to do for the most part, until it decays and dies. But anyway. But when the Bible talks about the flesh, what it's talking about is our fallen human nature. Our proclivities to rebel against God. Our proclivities to do what we want, when we want, how we want. And what this passage tells us is that that was crucified by Christ. And if we're in Christ, that flesh has been crucified and the Spirit of God dwells within us and reigns over our flesh. And so some of you are sitting here right now and you're going, Pastor, that can't be right because I feel helpless. I feel stuck. I feel unable to move. I feel like that particular sin is dominating me. And I don't question any of your feelings. But we must always speak truth over our feelings. And what this passage says is the Spirit of God reigns over your desires. And the Spirit of God is eager to help you be transformed through him and for his glory. And that relates to sin. It re- relates to rebellion. But I think it also relates to all the things com- that come from fallenness. And all the things that, that dwell in the brokenness of our world. And what we must preach to ourselves is the spirit dwells within me to be my help and my power and the presence of God at work. And I believe that one of the biggest challenges for us today is to identify that the Holy Spirit is indeed God, that the Holy Spirit indeed dwells within us to help us and meet with us and minister to us and change us. So, therefore, Paul says things like this, Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. What he's saying is the Spirit is, the Spirit is real, the Spirit is in you, and so the implication and the calling is to live by this Spirit who dwells within you to help you. hesitant to try to use an analogy because I think I'll just mess the Bible up. So I'm just going to go with this. What Paul is saying is we live by the Spirit because the Spirit dwells within us. And our discipleship and our joy and our hope and our lives are 
only made stronger and more joyful and more God-glorifying as we pursue and follow the Spirit who dwells within us. So, So as we conclude this first point, every Christian has the Holy Spirit, every Christian is called to live by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the leader for us to follow. The Holy Spirit is the leader for us to follow. That's why Paul says, walk by the Spirit. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. Those are very active, intentional, present tense, ongoing verbs to say that to be a Christian is to walk with the Spirit. And often, those of us with the more reformed understanding of the Scripture get really uncomfortable when people talk about doing stuff. We're dead in our sin, and Jesus died for us. He did, but he died to make us alive. And when Paul says, walk by the Spirit, you know what that word means? Walk. And when Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit, you know what that verb means? Keep in step with the Spirit. If I said, the building's on fire, get up and leave. Do you know what I mean? Get up and leave. God will help you, but go. And so we can't be afraid of calls to action as if every call to action is undermining God's glory and undermining His sovereignty. The Bible's filled with call to action, and God is with us, and it's the Spirit who's doing the work, and it's the Spirit who's leading us, but the Bible says, walk with Him, and keep in step with Him, and get engaged. So those of you that are lethargic and like, I don't know why my faith is is languishing, open your Bible, pray, Seek the Lord, ask Him to work, seek to be changed, engage. The Bible calls us to engage. Engage. For the glory of God and in the providential, sovereign care of God, engage. What does this Spirit do? What does the Spirit do? This passage tells us something really important. Second point, the fruitful Spirit. The fruitful Spirit. What this passage tells us is that the Holy Spirit leads every Christian in a battle against the flesh, the sin, and our rebellion against God. What this passage tells us is that the Holy Spirit cares deeply about what we think, what we say, and how we live. So, I want to be really clear. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 says this, No one is justified before God by the law. So what Paul is saying is no one earns God's favor. For the righteous shall live by faith. Salvation, justification, adoption, acceptance before God come by faith. But salvation by faith does not undermine a pursuit of holiness in this life. What Paul is saying is the Spirit dwells within us to Lead us and be our power in a battle to be more like Jesus. That's what this passage says. So one way to read this passage is to read it as a war between the flesh, that is our fallen human nature, what human nature produces, and the Spirit. God dwelling within us to transform us. So, verse 16, we're told to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. So walking by the Spirit and gratifying the desires of the flesh are at odds with one another. Now let's just guess, which one would the Spirit be for? 
I'm going to go with walking by the Spirit, okay? Verse 17, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to one another. So if the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to one another, which one is the Spirit going to be stirring in us? The desires of the Spirit. Verse 18, we're reminded that we don't have to perform to earn God's favor. Verse 19 through 21, we are told what the works of the flesh look like. The works of the flesh are what human nature produces. Those of you with kids, fear not, we're not going to go into great definitions here, okay? But the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. What he is saying is that the flesh left to itself always pursues gratifying the flesh, and that's what it looks like. And what he's also saying is Jesus came to free us from such desires. That's why he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now fear not, because all of you are like, oh dude, I'm in trouble, right? He's not saying everyone who does any one of those things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but he's saying if those Desires of the flesh define who you are and are the consistent outflow of your character. You will not inherit the kingdom of God because Christ is not in you. But if Christ is in you, even so progressively and even so in an infantile baby form, the Spirit of God will take away your desires for these things and give you the desires for the things of the Spirit. That's why in verse 17 he says this. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, now here's what he's what he's saying. He's not saying that you want to sin and the Spirit stops you from sinning. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you're in Christ, your conscience has been changed. Your conscience has been flipped upside down and you know what God wants you to do, but the flesh is striving to challenge you to stop you from doing what God wants. So hear me clearly. If you desire to be changed, that's a sign of God's grace in you. If you desire to be different, that's a sign of the Spirit in you. If you desire your life to be transformed, that's a sign of the Spirit in you. Cling to it, pray for more, and keep in step with the Spirit. Then, verse 22 and 23, Paul shows us what the fruit of the Spirit is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Now, I would be a poor preacher if I didn't point out that the fruit of the Spirit there is singular and not plural. So they're not the fruits of the Spirit. It's not revelations, and it's not Walmart, just for the record. Okay. It's the fruit of the Spirit, the book of Revelation, and Walmart. <laughs> With no S or Z. Why does that matter? 
Because what Paul is arguing is that with the Spirit, you get the whole package. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What he's saying is such behaviors don't need a law to point them out because they glorify God when they are brought by the Spirit in you. So you can just, like, you can quote me on this, and you could probably misquote me on Twitter if you wanted to, but I would say, write those things down. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It would be the will of God by the power of the Spirit of God that your life look more like those things in a year than it does today. And I, and I would bet that if you're in Christ, you can look back and you can see how there's more of that because God has brought it to bear in you. That is what maturity in Christ looks like. Maturity in Christ looks like a growing faith in Jesus, shaped by the Word of God, bearing the fruit of the Spirit in all things. That's what the Spirit of God wants from you. That's why He dwells in you. And one way that Satan ties Christians in knots is to convince us that we should never talk about character. We should never talk about behavior. We should never talk about action. Because we don't earn our salvation, it's all of grace. It is all of grace, but grace changes who we are. And the only way I know to to determine if I'm being changed is to look at the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit in my life and see the Spirit moving mightily. So, those of you who struggle with truth-telling, pray that the Spirit would bring more faithfulness. Those of you who struggle with anger, pray that the Spirit would bring more gentleness and more kindness and more patience and, well, more self-control. I'm feeling pretty guilty right now. Um, Those of you who struggle with anxiety and doubt, pray that the Lord and the Spirit would bring you more joy and more peace. You see how this works? The Spirit bears fruit. But if the Spirit dwells within us to bear the fruit of the Spirit, it is His desire that our lives bear the fruit of the Spirit. And we should walk with the Spirit by the power of the Spirit to bear the fruit of the Spirit. But I remind you that living things do what? They bear fruit. And Ephesians 2 tells us that if we're in Christ, we are no longer dead, but we are alive, and it would be the will of God that our lives would bear the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit dwells within us to be a fruitful spirit, the fruitful spirit, because these fruits only come from Him. So, to be clear as we conclude this point, we are not interested in salvation earning, and neither is Paul. Salvation comes by faith in Christ. See Galatians 3.11. We are also not interested in making sinfulness acceptable. Neither is Paul. See Galatians chapter 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I'm going to speak to the young people. I am 39, I believe. 38, 39, somewhere in there. Um, I need the Spirit to show me. I'm just kidding. Um, um, I'm 39. So if you're younger than me, we've been influenced by teachers that raise up grace, raise up grace, raise up grace, raise up grace, and raise up grace. And I'm for every bit of it. 
But grace never, ever, ever becomes our freedom to trample on the glory of God. It never becomes our freedom to step on God's glory by rebelling against Him in the name of His Son while we have His Spirit dwelling within us. But in our generation, it's kind of become popular to say, oh, we don't talk about what we should do and not do because everything's of grace. We don't talk about rules and regulations because it's all of grace. We don't talk about the law because that's in the Old Testament. And that is not making any peace with what God is saying through the Apostle Paul right there. Our freedom is not to trample on God's glory. Our freedom is to glorify God for what He has done within us. So, we are living in a tension. It's this war between the flesh and the Spirit. But the Spirit wins. God wins. Jesus wins. And the Spirit is within us. Follow the leader who wins. Now, before I leave this point, I want to say one word to those of you who are deeply struggling with your sin right now. Perhaps you're struggling so deeply with addiction. You're struggling so deeply with anger. You're struggling so deeply with apathy toward the things of God that you might hear what I'm saying today as if I'm saying you are not a Christian. The Bible does say that there will be some in the church who are not really Christians. And and that means that they're fakers and pretenders and over time they will fall away from the word and they will fall away from God and they will fall away from the things of God. The Bible also says that God is very long-suffering and patient to bring us to where he is going to take us. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, God disciplines those whom he loves. So if God is disciplining you right now with conviction, that is a gracious act of love to bring you back to the Father. It is not a sign that you are far from Him. It's a sign that you are very near to Him and that you are in His Son. Say that one more time. God disciplines those whom He loves and conviction of sin is a sign of God's grace that He is at work to draw us back to Himself. So if you feel the conviction today, don't run, but say, God is drawing me and the Spirit is in me to help me be transformed. Final point, and this is where I'm going to disappoint some of you, because some of you are like, dude, if you read the Bible, that's not all the Spirit does. He doesn't just bring holiness. And that's true, and I have... Four and a half minutes to cover what the rest of the Bible says about the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit is the active Spirit. So what else? Oh, wait, I'm sorry, I have a great quote. Can we go back to the second point? The fruitful Spirit. A pastor says, You don't need the Holy Spirit if you're merely seeking to live a semi-moral life and attend church regularly. You can find people of all sorts in many religions doing that quite nicely without Him. You only need the Holy Spirit's guidance and help if you truly want to follow the way of Jesus Christ. You only need the Spirit's help if you desire to obey everything He commanded and teach others to do the same. We need the Spirit. 
and I want you to live by the Spirit and walk with the Spirit. So, if the Spirit is the forgotten God, let's consider the other ways the Spirit is active for us and in us and through us. So, I'm going to go quickly, okay? Number one, there is not a competition between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. There's not a competition between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So when God works, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis chapter 1. When God works, the Father is working, the Son is working, and the Spirit is working. A glowing example of this is Ephesians chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and Romans chapter 8. When the God is working, the Father is working, the Son is working, and the Spirit is working. And our faith is enhanced and our confidence in the Spirit is enhanced as we see the work of the Spirit in everything. Just scratching the surface for you. Number two. Someone just asked for the Wi-Fi password. You cannot have it. We're preaching. I'm not joking. It just popped on my iPad and said, would you share the password? I'm like, No, I will not. <laughs> Busted. I guess I should turn the internet off, huh? Andy, can you make that stop? Got it, okay. <laughs> I'm not suggesting Andy's guilty. I'm suggesting that he knows how to make it not happen again. That's just what I'm suggesting. Okay. John chapter 16, Jesus says that we are better. It is better for us that he left the earth and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Just ponder that. Jesus said, it is better for you if I leave and send the Spirit to dwell within you. The Spirit of God is at work, and Jesus says his work in us is better than if he stayed on earth. Number three, according to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus, draws men to Jesus, empowers Christians for mission, and builds the church. According to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit exalts Jesus, draws men to Jesus, and powers Christians for mission, and builds the church. So you want to see Jesus glorified? We need the Holy Spirit. You want to see men and women, boys and girls, come to faith in Jesus where they are saved and changed? We need the Spirit to work. You want to see Christians emboldened and empowered to take the gospel outward to this city, to this state, this nation, and to the ends of the earth? We need the work of the Holy Spirit, not just in those who hear, but in those who go and in those who are sent. The Spirit empowers Christians for mission. And you want to see the church glorify Jesus? You want to see the church pure? You want to see the church making more disciples? You want to see people transformed by the power of God at work through His Spirit? You want this church to glorify God? We need the work of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Number 4. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit dwells within us to minister to us. The Spirit dwells within us to minister to us. It is the Spirit of God who dwells within us to minister to us. We need the work of the Spirit to carry us forward in this life. And number five, and this is really, really important. I said it in point one that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are not in competition with one another. This is what we need to hear too. The Word of God, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit are not in competition with one another either. We're told in 2 Peter chapter 1 and many other places throughout the scripture that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. 
The Holy Spirit inspired holy men to speak the word of God without error to the people of God. So the Spirit of God is not in competition with the Bible. And for some reason here in the South, we've got tied up in these knots about I have to choose between the Spirit and the Bible. I have to choose between what the Word says and what I think I heard. But if what you heard is not consistent with the Word, you didn't hear it right. And the Spirit takes the Scripture and makes it clear to us and helps us apply it in wise ways to go out into the world. We need the Word and we need the Spirit and they are not enemies. So if we want to walk by the power of the Spirit, we need the Bible to help us. And if we want to be biblical, we need the Spirit to help us. Charles Spurgeon once famously said, you don't need to reconcile friends. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are not in competition with one another. They don't need to be reconciled. The Bible and the Spirit are not in competition with one another. They don't need to be reconciled. So my prayer for you is that you would recognize the work of the Spirit in your life and in this church and would worship Him, praise Him, thank Him, follow Him, obey Him, love Him, and serve Him through the glory of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're here today, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. If you're here today and you're like, man, this is all very, very new to me. First of all, we would love to talk to you about that. If you're here today and you're like, man, I feel this helplessness that you're talking about, then what the scripture says is Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to help you and to enable you to be transformed for his glory. I would love to talk to you about faith in Christ that changes everything. The person that came here with you today would love to have that conversation with you as well. So here at Redeemer, each week we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a call to respond to the word. And so today we're taking the bread and we're taking the cup to recognize that it is the gift of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we have salvation, that we have the forgiveness of sin, that we have new life, and that we have hope for this life and the life to come. And so we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the cup as an act of faith. We would invite any of you who have believed in Christ for salvation and have professed that faith to take um, this bread and cup with us. If you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, if you've not professed that faith in Christ, we would ask you to let it pass because this is a meal that Jesus gave to profess our faith in him. And so those who are of Christ and in Christ, take the bread and take the cup as a sign of our confidence in him. So we're going to pass the bread. We're going to pass the cup. We'll sing. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them.